In 1870, in light of the unification of Italy, known as the Risorgimento in Italian, the Villa Giulia, a sprawling and luxurious estate built for Pope Julius III between 1551 and 1553, was seized by the newly established Kingdom of Italy. After some three centuries under papal control, it fell into the hands of the Italian people, following a surge in nationalistic pride. This surge would also spark a renewed interest and fervor in archaeology, as Italians began looking to their country's storied past to create a shared national identity. The first excavations, naturally, took place in the kingdom's capital of Rome, where the glories of the ancient empire of the same name were being unearthed on a near-daily basis. But in the region of Umbria, northeast of the capital city, the remnants of an earlier and arguably more sophisticated civilization were beginning to emerge. The discoveries proved to be far different, even worlds away from those in Rome, revealing a surprisingly equitable society that was wholly unique in the Mediterranean world of antiquity. It was this older, pre-Roman people, known as the Etruscans, that would form the Villa Giulia's collection when the estate would be converted into a museum in 1889, one whose mission it would be to promote the findings and research of this mysterious ancient culture. Just who were the Etruscans? What made their civilization different from all others in and around the Mediterranean? And what role did women play in their society? I'm Chester Sakamoto, your host, and welcome to the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. Today, the Museo Nazionale Etrusco, National Etruscan Museum at the Villa Giulia, boasts a collection of hundreds, if not thousands, of Etruscan artifacts, ranging from art and pottery to everyday objects. But of this vast collection, perhaps no piece is as famous as the museum's focal point, the so-named Sarcophagus of the Spouses. Fashioned out of terracotta sometime in the 6th century BC, the lid famously depicts a married couple with a life-sized man and woman sprawled out luxuriously beside one another on a sort of antique couch. It's a rather intimate piece, with the man affectionately placing his arm around the woman while the pair stare off lovingly into space. What separates this sarcophagus from those of Rome or even Egypt, however, is not just the subject matter, but also what was contained inside it. While the Romans and Egyptians reserved such funerary practices for men and women of high rank and social standing, they were most often buried apart from one another, usually in completely different sarcophagi or tombs. But the Etruscans buried this aristocratic couple together within the same sarcophagus, and therefore within the same tomb. Such a find was startling to both archaeologists and historians in the 19th century, as the known cultures in and around the ancient Mediterranean up to that point were highly stratified, with the sexes being anything but equal to one another. With the woman being depicted in equal stature to her male counterpart, could it be that women enjoyed a higher level of freedom and rights in Etruscan society? Before we attempt to answer, or at the very least explore, this question, we must first ask ourselves, who were the Etruscans? In short, they were a pre-Roman civilization that dominated Italy from roughly the 10th century BC to the 1st century BC. Though their origins remain a bit hazy, they are believed to be descended from an Iron Age culture based on the Italian peninsula known as the Villanovans, themselves descended from a Bronze Age culture in the same area. Though they had their own written and spoken language, no literary works or historic records survive. Only in 2016 was an artifact discovered that contains Etruscan text. Since then, it has been partially deciphered, as their alphabet was based on that of Euboean Greek. It's believed to have been a religious text tied to the cult of Uni, their goddess of family, fertility, and women, the equivalent of the Greek Hera and the Roman Juno. 
What began as a loose confederation of tribes in the then wilderness of central Italy in the 10th century BC became by the 6th century BC a thriving and sophisticated civilization that had grown wealthy through trade with several other ancient powers, namely the Greeks. In fact, it was trade alone that led to the rise of the Etruscan aristocracy, with powerful families forging and maintaining vast trade networks that stretched throughout the Mediterranean. But from the start, something set these upper classes apart from those of their neighbors, for while power was limited to one sex, that is, men, in places such as Greece, Egypt, and later Rome, Etruscan women enjoyed the privileges of a social status unknown to any other aforementioned ancient culture. But how do we know, or think we know, that women in Etruscan society were, more or less, equal to their male counterparts? As with the sarcophagus of the spouses, the clues lie in their art and architecture. Like the written sources, Etruscan architecture in particular is scant, as much of it has been lost to the ravages of time. What does remain, however, is invaluable, in that it provides a sort of window into how they live their daily lives. It's ironic, then, that the architecture that does survive to the present day are the tombs in which they buried their dead. Etruscan necropolises, ancient cemeteries, from the Greek meaning cities of the dead, differed from those of Egypt or Rome in that they mirrored, almost exactly, the adjacent towns, cities, and communities where they were built. The necropolis at Cerveteri in the Lazio region of Italy, for example, is a complex grid of streets and piazzas, lined with massive stone tombs built as exact replicas of the homes and businesses of the living. It's a sort of ancient, as above, so below concept, one that's wholly unique from those of other ancient cultures. Stepping inside the tombs is like walking into the fabled labyrinth of Greek mythology. Several rooms are arranged with furniture and provisions to be used and or accompany the deceased into the afterlife. Brightly colored frescoes adorn the walls, and it's here that we're offered our first glimpse into the Etruscan equality of the sexes. One tomb in particular at Cerveteri boasts a fresco depicting men and women partaking in joyous revelry side by side. They sing, dance, play musical instruments, and feast alongside one another in what looks to be a hearty banquet fit for royalty. By comparison, while women make appearances in the art, architecture, or even pottery of other ancient Mediterranean cultures, they're often confined to the sidelines, as in the case of the Greeks. With the exception of goddesses or female religious cults, women are often depicted as servants or symbols of domesticity, while the men lead symposia, dine and drink together, or even engage in sexual acts with one another. In short, women are practically property, second-hand citizens, who should be seen and not heard. In such environments as these, the Etruscans were truly extraordinary, even shocking, to those who surrounded their ancestral lands. And it wasn't just in the social sphere that Etruscan women enjoyed equality with their male counterparts. Tomb art in both Cerveteri and another equally famous necropolis in Tarquinia, also in the Lazio region, depict women in various athletic competitions, including wrestling and even fighting. Female Etruscan athletes were greatly renowned not just in their homeland, but abroad. They impressed, if not appalled, the likes of the Greeks, whose sports were reserved solely for men, specifically nude men, a symbol of physical and athletic perfection and prowess. Of course, it's important to note that Etruscan women didn't shy away from traditional gender roles. It's important to note that many of them were associated with home life and living, performing everyday activities, particularly in the areas of textiles. Spindles, spools, pins, and other such tools for the making of clothes and tapestries have been unearthed at those selfsame necropolises at Cerveteri and Tarquinia, with further evidence of their use by women in the frescoes that adorn their walls. 
But unlike their neighbors, who tended to confine women solely to the home, Greek historians like Herodotus and Thompompus recount, with an amusing amount of shock and amazement, how often they'd be seen out in public, dressed in the finest raiment and jewelry. They were also granted positions of considerable power within society, especially in religion, in which they could incite great political change by virtually making or breaking new rulers, by approving of them or refusing to bless them. Priestesses and oracles were consulted on everything from mundane matters to more pressing issues such as war and government stability. Their word was law, more or less, and held in such high regard that even Romans later consulted them. Their knowledge of the spiritual world was unmatched by any other Mediterranean culture, and thus made them the most sought-after spiritual advisors in the ancient world. For eight centuries, Etruscan civilization thrived in this manner, with Etruscan women in particular enjoying levels of freedom and independence unheard of anywhere else in the Mediterranean at the time. But then, by the first century BC, Rome threatened to topple the delicate balance they'd worked so hard to build. What began as a sleepy backwater along the Tiber River had, by 100 BC, spread throughout much of Italy and soon arrived at Etruria's doorstep. In the decades leading up to the formation of the great Roman Empire, the Etruscans' ancestral homelands in Umbria, Lazio, and Toscana were consolidated under Rome's banner. By AD 100, Etruscan culture, including language, had disappeared, having been forced to adapt to the empire's concept of Latinization, forced assimilation into the Roman identity. For centuries, this great pre-Roman civilization lay hidden, forgotten. It wasn't until the nationalistic movements following the unification of Italy in the 19th century that they were rediscovered and reintroduced to the world at large. To this day, the Etruscans are labeled as mysterious, as their own written records have largely been lost. But, if you ask me, they aren't all that mysterious at all. We're just scratching the surface in our rediscovery of this amazing people and culture, and, no doubt, more will be revealed about them in the future. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy this short episode on the role of women in Etruscan society. The Etruscans were a most remarkable civilization, and a key power player of the ancient Mediterranean, one that, I feel, too often gets overshadowed and overlooked by the other great societies of the time. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to support me to ensure more of them in the future, please consider becoming a monthly supporter. Just visit anchor.fm slash historylovescompany and click the support button, which will redirect you to three monthly support plans that fit your monetary situation. Listening and sharing also help me in big ways, so please do so wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join me again next week as we head further east to explore one of the greatest empires in history, right here on the History Loves Company podcast, because history is shaped by all of us. This is Chester Sakamoto signing off. See you next time. Thank you.